uh, if, if you've been with us for a while since January, we've been kind of going through uh, the life of Abraham in Genesis, first book of the Bible. And if you look on the screen behind me, it says joy, and it's about Philippians. Well, we're starting a new series um, today um, to kind of look at this, this joy that Paul has in this book. Like as we read through it, you're going to understand that like, he just, it's full of joy. Um, and, and what that means and, and, and why he can be so hopeful, so joyful and rejoice um, in, in the midst of the circumstances um, that he's in. So if you want to turn there, that would be uh, fantastic. Pentecostal marks, marks a day where things changed for the church in that um, uh, the, the disciples end up kind of in an upper room after Jesus has ascended to heaven, right? Like, like they, they, they witness Jesus' life, they follow him for three years, they see his miracles, they see what he did, they, they, like they think, they kind of go through the up and downs of uh, following him and seeing all these grand miracles and then when the rubber hits the road, they kind of scatter and then, and then, and then like they, they have this amazing experience where they watch Jesus die and they go in despair and then someone comes and says, hey, no, 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 like Jesus has come again. He, like he's rose from the dead. He's, he's not dead. And they, and they have this like resurgence moment and where like there's celebration in this upper room and where Thomas who's doubting is like feeling the hands of Jesus and going, oh my, like what, what, what do we do with this, right? And then Jesus is with them for a few weeks and then he, they stand on a mountain and Jesus ascends to heaven and they're left there alone and their reaction is to turtle. Right? Like they've seen all of these amazing things and they saw all of this amazing stuff with Jesus and they're like, yeah, Jesus is fantastic. He's good. We're on board with that. Like he is the son of God. He is, like he is who he says he is and we trust and believe him. But we're going to go and put ourselves in this little room here because we ain't Jesus. We're just not. We're scared. We know what happened to Jesus. If we would act like he's asked us to act, if we would teach like he's asked us to teach, if we would live like he's asked us to live, our fate is exactly the same as his. So we huddle in a room. And then Pentecost. There they are sitting, waiting to see what's going to happen. Jesus has promised that there will be a helper that comes. They don't know what this is going to look like. And on this day, 2,000 years ago, tongues of fire come down. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills this ragtag group of people, people that doubt and went from from uh, Jesus calling him like Satan, get behind me, Satan, Jesus says to Peter, to, to like, oh, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And like this this ragtag team, the the... the the Spirit of God comes upon them, and Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and shows, shows that Jesus is the coming Messiah. He is the one whom Israel's been waiting for, who the whole Old Testament talks about. And, they, and then he looks at the life of Jesus and says, look, like you need to repent of your wrongful thinking, of the way that you lived wrongly. You need to repent and you need to believe in this Jesus. And on that day, 3,000 people come to know Christ, and the church is born. On that day, the Spirit of God moves and he, and, and he builds his church in radical ways. And the book of Acts is really just a history of this movement building. Because as these people are persecuted, Paul, who was persecuting them, has an encounter with Christ and becomes a chief apostle. 
and gets sent out to the wider world to establish churches and preach the gospel. And the church goes as far as Rome and is built. But today, we think a bit differently about the church. I mean, in the West, there's a skepticism, there's a, a negativity, a shyness about what church is. In fact, there's, there's a lot of um, scholarly material on why it is that the West has become so secular and people are flocking away from the church. A regular attender would be considered one who comes once every two weeks and, you know, a, a religious person who's religiously affiliated would be once every four weeks. And people start to ask questions about like, well, why is this? Why is it that the church is dying? Why is it that people are not um, attending or believing as strongly? Why do we have this attrition with young adults? What does that look like? Mary Eberstadt, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, wrote a book called How the West Really Lost God. And she kind of interacts with these ideas on why it is that, that uh, the church is in decline and why secularism seems to be on the rise. And she kind of comes up with a few main kinds of stories that have come along. One of those is that um, we've stopped needing imaginary comforts. But somehow the church was just there to, to speak myths into the world so that we would feel good about ourselves and good about the world. But now that we are more, that we understand more, we don't need that, that fake crutch. We don't need that mythology. We have truth and we can understand that. Another is that because of science and the enlightenment and our rational thinking that we've been able to understand how the world has come to be. We understand how it works. We understand how our bodies work, our minds work, how a black hole works. And because we understand that, we just assume then that we'll be able to figure out the rest of it. And we don't need the church to fill in those gaps. Or it's just because we're so materially comfortable that we don't need a church to tell us that we need God. We have all that we need. Or maybe it's because of geopolitical reasons and who's president and who was in charge in the world wars and, and all of that thing. And that's why secularism has come to pass. And that's why the church is dying. Recently, there was a study called Renegotiating Faith in where um, a group of people went to look at why it is that young adults, those that are coming out of high school, are not staying in church. At record numbers, millennials are not staying at church. And it comes, it comes down to a lot of reasons around relationships and, and discipleship um, development. But also has to do with the relevance of church, the track record. I mean, even us that sit in the church can look and see bad examples of the church. We can look south at Seattle a few years ago and see this mega church implode because of some poor leadership. We can see that in Chicago with a group of churches that were there, that there was just terrible leadership. We can see that in sex scandals and just sin working through the church and we become skeptical of the church. But you see, Paul is not skeptical of the church. In fact, he is completely different. 
And I think that if we understand what it is that Paul is excited about, what Paul is excited about in the church, then we, will, we ourselves will begin to be excited about what the church is about. So would you read with me? Philippians chapter 1, it will be on the screen behind us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making of my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do, 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 you, do you see Paul? Do, do you feel Paul's affection for the church? Like he just, at every corner, he's like, with, with joy, I, I'm writing this to you. I, I pray with joy towards you and for you. I, I have this affection that just comes up. It's right for me to feel this way about you. And actually, when he talks about this idea of I love you with, with, with the affection of Christ, this, this Greek word actually means I love you with the, with the colon of Christ. I, uh, that, that sounds pretty awesome, hey? When, when was the last time someone said, oh man, I'm just really feeling you in my colon, right? right? Like, I'm sorry, what? But th- this, is, this is actually where we get the word like, visceral from, when you have a visceral reaction to something. Paul's just saying, like, this just is coming from the depths of Christ, this love that I have for you. Man, when, when I think about you, it just explodes out of me, this, this joy for the church. And I kind of go, well, why? I mean, the church was not fantastic, we're, we're going to see as, as we move along through the Philippians uh, letter that, that, that Paul had things to correct. There was dissension in there. There was some argumentation that was happening there. They need to be reminded of what their attitude needed to be like. And, and, and yet, if we move beyond it, we, we shouldn't have forgotten that when we looked at the Corinthian church, there was points where Paul was like, are you kidding me? Like the things that you're doing inside of the church, the things that are happening in the church don't even happen in the pagan world. Like how, how, how is it possible that this Paul could, could see all of the faults of the church, could see all of the faults of its people, could correct it and be angry about it in certain spots. And yet when he reflects on what it is that the church is and, and what it does, he can just be so full of joy and rejoicing. Well, I think that we see here at least three of those things. 
I think Paul is excited about the church, that it just explodes from within him because he knows what the nature of the church is, he knows what the purpose of the church is, and he knows the certainty of the church. So let's, let's start with the nature of the church. Philippians 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all the, to all the saints. Now when we think saints, we think, well, you've lived a good life, you performed three miracles, you did X and Y thing. And so when we think saint, when we look back at our week, we spend some time going, hmm, was I saint-like? So if you happen to be sitting here today, and you're like, you know, when I look back at my week, I made the right decisions. Like, I was honest. I, like, I, 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 I didn't get angry at my wife. I, you know, I, I worked hard this week. I didn't, I didn't actually fall into the temptation that I would normally fall into. I, I actually made the right decision. I, I chose not to watch that thing, or I chose not to do that thing, or I stopped at one drink instead of five. Like, if I look at my week, man, I'm saint-like. And then, and then there's some of us who sit in this room and go, ooh, saint and this week are polar opposites. I did not make the right decisions. I did watch the wrong thing. When my wife said that thing that I get always gets me going, I did not have self-control and I lost it. So we think of sainthood as conditional. Something we can earn or that we can look back and say, yeah, I actually fit in that category today or no, I don't. But that's not how Paul sees it. See, he recognizes the faults of the church. He's not, he's not ready to say, oh, you're, you're perfect. But he's ready to say, you are a saint because of who you are, not because of what you do. See, when, when Paul looks at the church, he sees people in a particular position, not people in a particular condition. When we think about value, when we think about the things that we have, we, 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 we provide value on them. So if you're driving down the road and you kind of drive by Eldon's place and he's got like this used couch on the side that just says free, right? And he's like, he's like beating it up and it's got tears in it or whatever. But you're like, you know what? That actually would be a great thing to put in my man cave because who cares if the dog gets on it or who cares if the cat pees on it or who cares if the kids have like pop and they spill it? It doesn't matter. It, it, it was free, right? But if, if you go and you do the research and you, and you buy the thing that you want to buy, like you, you, you put a little bit of protection around it, right? So like, so like if anybody who's bought a new car, who's like saved up and like found the thing that they, that they want, they want this car, and, and they, they spend the time, they, they save up for it, they, they, they research it, they want this option and this option, they want heated seats and cooling seats, which I don't even know, like what is a cooling seat? 
Like, I, I don't even know what that is. You know, and it's got all of the fancy stuff and the screen and, and oh, this particular paint color and what have you. They, they, when they go to Walmart, they don't park in the tiniest spot. They go, like, way to the back. And they, like, they angle their car into, like, three spots so that nobody can ding it. Right? And then, oh, no, 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 I don't know. I, like, I don't know if you can drive it. I'll drive. Because I don't want anything to happen to this, right? When, when, when my buddy got a boat, he, it wasn't a new boat, but it just was a boat that he had been dreaming of having. The first time I went to get on it, I went to get on it. He said, hey, 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 take your shoes off. Sorry, what? what? No, 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 no. My boat, my rules, shoes off. And you might as well leave your chips here because we're not eating on this thing. Well, I don't know if I want to come then. Like, really? He's like, no, no, you didn't pay for this. Right? Like, this is, I've been dreaming of this. And I have spent all of my money on this. I've saved up and I've spent it on it. So when Paul's talking about saints, he understands the cost of the church. He understands the value of it. See, as we read through the book of Acts and we see the history of the church unfold from Pentecost, which we talked about or was briefly mentioned last Sunday, in where um, the, the Spirit of God came and rested on the 12 apostles and then they spoke the word and people came. Like on that first day, 3,000 came and the church exploded. And then Acts kind of records what happens. Like it, it records Paul's conversion. It records the building of the church and his missionary journeys. And when he's getting to the end, there's a prophecy that comes to him and says, look, if you're, go if you're going to Jerusalem, you, you are going to be bound and you're going to Rome. And that's a bad thing. Like, Paul, this is, this is the end of your mission's journey. He says, I'm, go I'm going to Jerusalem, but he stops along the way. And one of those happens in Acts chapter 20, where he stops and he talks to the, the Ephesian elders. Those that have been entrusted with the, with the health of the church in Ephesus. And he stops there as their founding pastor. And he says, look, like this, these are my last words. I, I, and, and I'm not going to waste them. I'm not going to talk. We're not, this is not small talk time. I'm, I'm heading towards imprisonment. I'm heading towards a certain end. And so I'm going to take the time to tell you what's important. And in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says to these elders, these people who are responsible for the church, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, why? Because he attained it with his own blood. See, Paul's excited about the church because he knows what, how precious it is. He knows what it cost to buy the church. It cost his own blood. But the, the nature of the church has its value because God bought it with his own blood on the cross. See, Paul's excited about the church, not because of its perfection, but because of his perfection. So if you sit here and you look at the work of Jesus, you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at his death, and you look at his resurrection, you say, amen, that, 
that is what I believe. That is who I'm casting my faith on. You are a saint. You are a blood-bought saint. The most precious thing in the world was shed for you. You are more valuable than, than any boat or car. Paul's excitement comes from when he looks at the church, when he looks at the challenges in it, he doesn't get overwhelmed by it. He says, no, 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 these were bought by Jesus. And that excites me. These are saints. See, Paul's excited because of the, the nature of the church. But, but, but he's also excited because of the purpose of the church. It's not just simply a means of like, yeah, you know what? I spent all of this money on you. Now it's going to sit in the garage. I think that's foolish. We don't do that with our vehicles. Well, some people do, but I think they're a bit crazy. Like if you're going to buy something, there's a purpose for it. Verse 3 to 8, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you with... Uh, Oh boy, with all, because I hold you in my heart. Oh boy. See, I told you it was the son. It's, it's not my fault. For you are partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you, do you, do you notice? Paul. Paul is excited about the church because of their partnership in the gospel. See, they, they just, it just was not a holy huddle in which, hey, they were saved and they understand Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's, and then they gather together and that's, and, and that's it. No, no, no. Paul, Paul understands that the, that, that the value of the church moves beyond their their, their sainthood and moves to that. This is the means by which God will bring more people. That God will save more people. And he rejoices that this Philippian church is, is, is participating with him in it. You see, when, when Paul gets converted and, and he gets sent out, he's just convinced that, look, like, like this is the best story there is. This is the best thing that has, could possibly ever happen. This is the truth that will change people's lives. So I'm going to tell everybody about it. And so, and so he goes into the, the Philippian or into Philippi and he, he just finds people. He finds Lydia in Acts chapter 16 and, and tells her the gospel and she, she, she becomes saved. She, like she just, the, her eyes are opened and she loves Jesus. And so this church kind of starts. And Paul, Paul's going around in Philippi talking about Christ. And there's this little, little girl that's, that's following him around and just saying, hey, this is who this person is. This is who this person is. And, and he gets annoyed. And, and in, in this moment, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel so good that the 
Apostle Paul got annoyed by a little child who was constantly at his heels. Because, man, that makes me feel so good as a dad, right? Dad, 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 dad. I'm trying to concentrate, right? And I can just imagine Paul here, right? He's trying to preach the gospel, and there's this little girl here who's filled with an evil spirit who says, hey, like, this is who Paul is. This is who Paul is being super distracting, and he just turns around and is like, shut up! Right? Spirit's gone. And now people are mad. Right? Because, like, hey, wait a second. We were making money off of this girl. How dare you do that? And they drag him in front of a court and they beat him and put him in prison. And then an earthquake comes. And the, and, and the chains fall off and the doors open and the and the, and the Philippian jailer is standing there and about to kill himself because he knows that what happens when prisoners get out is he has to pay that penalty. And Paul and Silas are, in, are still in the prison. Say, don't do that. We're here. And, 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 they, and they share the gospel with this, with this man. And he attends to their wounds, and he comes to know Christ, and he washes their wounds, and his family is baptized, and this church grows. So now Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, writing to the Philippian church about all of this joy, is writing to this man, his, his soldier, his imprisoner, who he saw the gospel move through. And now is thinking that this man, is witnessing to those around him. And, and, and he is just excited about, look, the, the purpose of the church was not only to save that man, but to have him now speak those words of truth to the rest of that community, to have God open other people's hearts, to have them alive with the truth of Jesus. And Paul is excited about that. See, the, the, the church has a purpose. But it's not s- simply there. It's also in partnership in supporting one another. You see, Paul's in prison. He has no way of supporting himself. And, and, and in that culture, man, you needed people on the outside to support you. So we find out later on that the Philippian church sent an emissary with food and money so that he could be taken care of in Epaphroditus. And when he thinks back on the Philippian church, he thinks about their partnership in their extreme poverty. When he's encouraging the Corinthian church to give, he goes, look at what happened in Philippi. Look what happened in Macedonia. In their extreme poverty, they partnered with us with the, in the gospel and sent aid to Jerusalem. See, Paul's excited about the church because it is God's means of reaching the world. And it's the means in which we get to support one another. In that when Paul is in prison, the church comes to his aid and brings what he needs. Brings joy, brings prayer, brings food. Cares for him and his wounds. When, when he's writing to, this, to the church in 2 Second, Second Corinthians, this church that has to be reminded of the failures that they have continuously, he writes this. 
But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And when Paul, when Paul is reflecting on this, his, his, his response is, who is sufficient for these things? See, church, we are the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. God's purpose for the church is that we, in our lives, in our actions, in our words, would smell like Jesus. You ever, get, you ever have that? When you walk out the back door into your, in, 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 into your kind of patio area and somebody is barbecuing, and you're like, oh, craft dinner just isn't going to cut it tonight. Right? The hot dogs I'm doing, it just does not smell like that smoked whatever it is over there. Like you're almost just like, so who is that? Maybe I could go and visit. That's what the church is supposed to be like. People are supposed to encounter you and go, what's, what, what's happening over there? I, I want that. That's what Paul's excited about. It's not that they're perfect. It's that the way they live their lives and the, and the joy that comes from them in the midst of their mistakes and the humility that they have as they, as they move through life and their, their reliance on Christ, people just kind of do a double take and go, hmm, what's going on there? How is it that that kind of forgiveness can be there? How is it that that kind of love can be there? How is that 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 kind of joy can be there? I want to look over the fence. See, Paul sees that the purpose of the church is that we are the aroma to the world around us. But you know, he also sees that, we, that the church functions as a place where we actually get to be more holy. Verse 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Did you see the so that? Paul's prayer is directed in a particular direction. He prays for love and knowledge and discernment so that you would approve what is excellent, that you would be pure and blameless, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. See, Paul sees that the, the, the purpose of the church is that we would become more like Jesus, that we would walk alongside one another and help each other in their hurts and correct one another 
so that we could approve what's excellent, so that we could be pure and blameless, so that we could be filled with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, that the fruit of the Spirit that we find would, would just be more and more in our lives. See, this is the purpose of the church. This is why we gather together. That we would help each other to look more like Jesus. That we would open this word and we would read it and understand it and struggle together with it so that we could then be more like Christ. Paul's excited about the church because the way that we become more holy is through the church. We wrestle together and support one another and exhort one another and correct one another and encourage one another and, and pray for one another. His prayer is, is that our love would abound more and more. See, when, when Jesus talks to his disciples in John chapter 13, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Also, are, uh, You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will they know? If you have love for one another. Is our church known for love for each other, for our neighbor, for our enemy? When someone wrongs you, do they feel your love or your wrath? How about someone in the church when they wrong you? Do they feel your love or your wrath? So Paul's prayer is that we would be a people who abound more and more and more in love. That our love for God would just increase more and more and eclipse all other loves. That our love for each other would abound more and more and would eclipse all other loves. That our love for this world and, and what truly will save it will, will abound more and more and more and just increase in us to the point where we are just known as people of love. Now, there's a danger with that, that we can, we, we can kind of accommodate or kind of enfold the cultural understanding of what love is. Because the cultural understanding of love is love means you accept someone as they are, no matter who they are. Love equals acceptance. But that's not biblical love. See, Biblical love is, is tempered by knowledge and discernment. That we would know what is right. That we would be pure and blameless. Right? Paul qualifies this. He says, like, uh, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This, this, doesn't, this, is, this is actually really clear when you think about a wedding. I've been to a, a few weddings in uh, my time. And 
the bride and groom always love each other. Like there's just, like you will look at wedding pictures, like they've never smiled better in their life, right? Everybody is happy. Everything is about love. This, this is fantastic. Like, like there's rose-colored glasses, and it is, it is wonderful. You get all the speeches. Like best man gets up and shares a tear-jerking story about how awesome his, his friend is. And then the maid of honor gets up and just, oh, how fantastic she was as a friend. And these are, these are all true things. But, but th- then you get mom and dad to come up. Mom and dad who love their daughter or their son. And they talk about the blessing that their son or their daughter is. And then they, they talk about the blessing that this, that this spouse is. Have you ever been to a wedding where dad is not convinced on the man that, he, that his daughter's marrying? I have. It was painful. Because dad gets up there. He's like, I know that you feel love, but this is stupid. It's like, you know what? I don't love you. I hope one day I will. But right now, I think you're bad for my daughter. He didn't say that, but it was the subtext. He wasn't up there glowing. He wasn't up there saying, this is fantastic. I'm so excited. His response was, I guess I will learn to love you. Why? Because he was scared that his daughter had loved someone without knowledge and discernment. And he was right. She walked away from the faith because of her husband. She's an alcoholic. She's a drug user all introduced to him. And dad was standing there, standing there saying, I, I love you and I know, I know that you love him, but you are not thinking, you are not using knowledge and discernment. Here it's important that we understand that love comes with knowledge. It comes with discernment. Paul talks about that in Romans when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And and the writer of Hebrews, when he's looking back and he's thinking, Man, you know what? I shared the gospel with the Hebrews and, and they've been studying the word. They should actually be farther along than they are. I mean, they should be thinking more clearly about what it is that the gospel implies. And so when, when, when they write, he says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, Paul understands that the, that the purpose of the church is that we would love unconditionally, that we would have this love that wells from within us, but that is based in knowledge, that is based in discernment. And this is practice. This is a muscle that needs to be encouraged and helped with. And that is the purpose of the church, that we would help each other look more like Jesus and grind off those edges that don't. That's why Paul's excited about the church. This doesn't leave people in their sin. It asks them and it encourages them to be more like Jesus. 
But finally, and most importantly, Paul is convinced in the certainty of the church. Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work. See, Paul is excited about the church because what it means, because of its nature, because of this this blood-bought reality that makes us sons and daughters of Jesus. He's excited about the church because that reality can be for others through the proclamation, through the aroma that we have. He's excited about the church because of the, the reality that we encourage one another to be more like this Jesus, this perfect man who gave us an example on how to live. But he is convinced that it is God's work, not ours. Paul's certainty as he sits in prison in chains isn't that, oh man, I hope they get it right. I hope they make the right decisions. I hope they can dig down and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. No, no, no. His confidence is in that God started this. God will finish it. There are no forces out there that can stop what God has started, what God has established, what he has done. Paul's excited about the church because it's not him. It's not what he did. It's not how he's done it. It's what God has done. See, when when Peter is kind of struggling through, like he's walking along with Jesus and he's kind of struggling through, how does this work? Is Jesus the Messiah? Does he do, like, does he actually meet the picture that I think Messiah is? And sometimes he's just like woefully off base. And Jesus is like, look, Peter, you need to get behind me. Like he calls him Satan. Like get behind me, Satan. Because you just, you just have it so wrong. But then there's this point where Jesus comes and he, and, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. You're like, you are the Messiah. You are the promised one. And, and Jesus says to him, uh, Peter, you, you're, you're right. And, and now your name will be Peter. Because on this rock I will build my church. And we think, oh, Peter. No, no, no. Did you hear it? On this rock I will build my church. See, Peter's one of the 12 disciples hidden in an upstairs room and until the Spirit of God comes upon him and explodes from him and 3,000 people come to know him. Peter is just a man who is scared that the Jews are going to do to him what they did to his, his, his leader. But when the Spirit of God comes upon him and that reality, that, that promise that Jesus says, I'm going to build my church through you, Peter, I'm going to accomplish what I've set out to do through you. I am. And Paul catches that vision. And the end of that, the end of that is, is, and the gates of hell will not prevail. When, When we look at the church, when we think about the nature of the church and the purpose of the church, man, we should have confidence. We should be standing here in joy for what is happening because God is at work. Because God is changing lives. 
God is calling people to himself and bringing salvation to the world through us. Who, when we evaluate ourselves, say, man, we're we're so far off of sainthood. I've been bought. Man, I should be excited about it. should have so much joy for the church. Paul Paul did because he understood this. You know, one of the things that's so incredibly beautiful about being a pastor is that we get to, we, we, we have the privilege of shepherding the church of God. This, this blood-bought bride. He's moving through to make more like him. Who he's using to bring people to himself. It is evidence of his work and the certainty of it. And we, we have the privilege to shepherd it, to lead it. I think it's, it's valuable to, to celebrate what it is that you are. When, when I read this passage, I think, man, we are so blessed as leaders to have the church that we have, to have people invested as we, as we have, to have people l- living out Christ and being this aroma. And so we just, we really feel we need to celebrate you. Right? You are, a, you are a blood-bought bride who is infinitely valuable because Christ bought you and he is working through you and we want to celebrate you because of that. We want to encourage you in that. Eldon and I are excited about the church. I think Eldon in particular, about this church. Right? So how about you come up then? And you tell me why. You tell them why. I'm done. I'm done. The sunstroke is over. Am I? <coughs> it's, I'm so tired. No, no, no. I'm, I'm serious, though. Yeah, okay. I'll do that then. Thank you. Uh, yeah.